Welcome back to Mark's Madness, now part of Chunkaluta. And, and I'm I'm actually here. Should be <laughs> back again. Still not all three of us. We're down. We're down. No. Prez today. Now we've got always got to have a rotating two. Yeah, but <laughs> David's the only one who's consistent. You say that I've been rotated out at times too. No, I know. That's, you know, I don't feel bad because of that. <laughs> uh, it's not for without reason though. You'll hear at the end of the episode. But a lot sure. of good news on the winter fundraiser that you haven't even heard about from me. Yeah, and it's already basically done with what we immediately need but we'll get into it later that's cool um all right well welcome back to uh mark's madness pod we read books we are part of chunk luton network we'll be jumping back into the gramsci reader that prez has uh, put together for us so even with prez not here we're still using their reader and so that's helpful uh we'll be on slide 140 um I almost made a mistake of which slide we were on. So, um, you know, it's 140. Let me make that very clear because I looked at the page number at the top in our internal stuff. It went 178, got all confused. Don't do that. Uh, it's going to be right at the beginning. It's going to be a Reggio, Amelia, and we'll we'll go on from there. But first, the new new show show is not uh, fully functional yet. So we will touch on a few current we're events. We're slacking. Sorry. <laughs> we will touch on a few current events because it is very tumultuous uh, in the world right now. There's three simultaneous genocides going on. Agmire, really. No, sorry. I'm just using the yeah. word. God. Um, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I guess it, it a little bit. Uh, a little bit is a, a situation with a lack of a good solution. I think that's the definition of quagmire. I don't fucking oh, know. Quagmire is like a political clusterfuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so you know, longer um, <laughs> um, term, at least. Yes, but uh, but we should turn back to obviously the the thing on everybody's mind is going to be Palestine because that is the largest um genocide of the century so far and it's been one that had you know the darfur uh massacre which we'll mention in a minute here um it's had you know previous slaughters of, of palestinians it's had uh the iraq war but this is just incredibly massive um and and the disease has not even set in yet which is what's probably the most terrifying part even without the Israeli war crimes of targeting and destroying hospitals and all medical infrastructure disease is usually the big killers in these situations. And Israel's destroyed sanitation buildings, plumbing. I mean, there's like one well, whenever, you know, whenever somebody says, Oh, Indians died off mostly to disease before we even invaded mainly. And it's like the, the victims no. of the Holocaust died mostly of disease. That's how people fucking die in genocides. That's, that's the biggest killer. Yeah, exactly. It's really, you know, dismissive when people start breaking out the fucking genocide yeah. apology. <laughs> yeah, like, look, don't get me wrong. We've, we've talked about in genocides, we've talked about, you know, uh, dams with flooding by the United States expanded. We know about gas chambers in the Holocaust. We understand the bombing is happening here. There are other killers in genocide, but you create conditions for massive disease outbreaks and incredible repercussions for even the simplest disease, and most people die by disease. That's how genocides are typically carried out. That's how they work because you destroy livelihoods livelihoods um and you destroy all all function and all ability to address it and we haven't even gotten there yet and the numbers are already absurd um which is is terrifying but also this may be even more acute because like i was getting to even in the the supposed safe zones which are not 
safe zones at all. Um, there's like, th- those are the only places where they can even get information. And there's like, you know, one bathroom for 500 people. There are people uh, using, you know, old remedies like vinegar and stuff to try to fight infections because they just do not have the equipment, the medical equipment, anything to do that. People are starving. People are thirsty. Um, and this is, of course, under continual bombing, under a uh, ground invasion. Um, this is, you know, surrounded by all sides, uh, by the empire backing Israel doing this um, full on. Um, you know, this would end today if the United States didn't want it to happen. Did we mention uh, a settle- Israeli settlements just got shelled by Lebanon? Oh, yeah. Well, there, there's been expanding uh, the whole time, the whole time. Israel has been attacking Lebanon and Syria along with this. They always do that on attack Gaza. There's also been expansions and settlements in the West Bank. But Hezbollah has been firing rockets down on the Israeli side, like on the settlements, basically the whole time they've been in Lebanon. It's been like a controlled shot at the settlements and people are like having to abandon these northern settlements. It's It's been incredibly effective. That's what you call the modern Indian raid. <laughs> anyway, um, speaking of Indian raids, we're going to mention a little historical thing at the top of this episode because I'm mm-hmm. back and uh, Prez isn't here and we can pretty much do whatever the fuck we want. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but we're going to talk about the Dakota 38, all right? 38 plus two, mind you, because one of the names on there is like John to us, you know? So like dude gets called and then two others come up because they're like, that's my name too. Yeah. And then they're just like, yeah, okay. 40 people hang them all. It's videotaped by the way. You can, you can go watch it on video. That's how recent it is. They had video cameras. It's pretty fucked up. Um, But like the grandkids, you know, of like their siblings and cousins for those who didn't have children before they died, you know, they're still around today, you know? So like you can learn a lot about these stories, like this history. That's only, you know, a generation, two generations ago for us, you know, (laughs) like it's real sad stuff that it's so recent. And even then those grandkids are now dying off and, they're talking about canceling the entire um, memorial ride we do. But like uh, last year at, during the winter drive we did, you know, we passed them along the way. So, <clears throat> you know, it's a, a iconic, iconic scene for me, you know, but um, it's uh, it's one you'll always hear about a lot right now online. And a lot of it is just lip service. Like a lot of people just do a Wikipedia-esque article and go, it was the largest mass hanging in U.S. history. Yet none of them are willing to call, <laughs> you know, a lot of people aren't willing to call Abe Lincoln out for the white supremacy. You know, um, you'll hear a lot of apologia for America along with the co-option of the story, right? They're like, you know, and we need to rectify these wrongs and hold up to our American ideals. And it's like, that those are the American ideals. Yeah. You know, like in the Declaration of Independence, they blame the king for these issues with indigenous people. And reality, you know, it's a settler caused issue. The king just funded your way there. 
you know, it's your active occupation that's causing them to be pissed off. You know, <laughs> it's like Jewish people being like, no, well, you know, Israeli people, I should say, but Israeli people being like, no, no, it's because we're Jewish. You know, yeah. it's like, no, it's the occupation that's yeah, pissing that's, everybody off. Yeah, it's a fully national uh, battle. And, you know, you can you can claim it in the name of of. Uh, ethnicity, which I mean, oh God, that you know, I, I again, I don't know how the the ethno nationalist very explicitly settler colonial structure of Israel just gets by as left wing to so many people. It's how deep the propaganda is. It's the kibbutz, I mean, like yeah. literally, and that's, I mean, that's not, yeah, kibbutz is not. We we actually had a guy in TRN that was from a kibbutz in South America, and it's like on stolen land. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sounds, sounds about white. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, no matter what there or whatever religious justification there was, cause there's always this religious justification and colonialism. Um, none of that changes. This is a national conflict. It is oppressed people versus settlers. And right now those settlers are very intensely committing genocide against those oppressed people, including bombing bethlehem on christmas just on christmas the, yeah on christmas that's insane to do just, that's, that's like bombing us at wounded knee you know yeah. during 1973 that that it's would just, be incro- just <laughs> yeah i mean it's, optics yeah <laughs> um Elsewhere in the world, again, we we're talking about there's been essentially three simultaneous genocides. You have the continued invasion of Uganda, Rwanda. Um, Listen, in, it's a lot more than that, David. Well, okay, yes, but three three explicitly acute ones. Um, you have, uh, you know, Uganda and Rwanda invading uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Which you should say is more, just more explicitly obvious. Yes. It's acute. Like, okay. Some of these are 500 years old. True, <laughs> true, true. That's a key. Um, yeah. And well, and, and the, you know, we're talking about the, the Democratic Republic of Congo that goes back to, to Leopold and, and the rubber stripping all the way down through. And especially, well, right. I mean, the concentration camp mm-hmm. inspired by reservations is born out of the Congo genocide that continues. Mm-hmm. It just never stopped. No, no, it, it never, it never has. I mean, this is probably the most the i think it's the poorest nation in the entire world um because of how deeply it's been attacked with colonialism and so right now there's there's an election going on and just as the last election uh the results are are being thrown into doubt um and you know this is this is the breakdown of kind of the western appointed uh, governments after the Great Congolese War in the 90s and and the UN peacekeeping completely not keeping any peace and and failing, continuing. And then in Sudan, um, you have the RSF. So for people not familiar with the, the RSF, uh, there was the uh, Jajuin, which was the um, kind of it, kind of like like you know, the way Al-Qaeda and ISIS, they're supposedly Muslim groups, but they're very uh, right-wing. Um, they were kind of the the supposed, you know, uh, Southern force, right, coming up against uh, Sudan proper. Um, kind of beginning its, its breakaway over the last few decades, ever since, you know, the neoliberalism set in and broke everything down about 40 years ago. 
And um, as they've broken out, they've you know rebranded a few times. Now, this is something that this is one of the groups that was against ISIS and Al Qaeda, oddly enough, uh, and made a lot of hay in Libya after Libya was toppled. Um, but they've been fighting alongside, but they, they're really an outgrowth of Jajuin who had completely lost all credibility after uh, the Darfur massacre, which is a massive genocide in Darfur. And there was also mass rapes occurring. Um, and so they kind of molded into this group and this group was legitimized mostly by the UAE because they become self-sustaining, basically giving, you know, gold, livestock, whatever they want to steal or mine to the UAE. They've also kind of been backed by, uh, Russia, specifically the Wagner group, uh, and Syria. So, you know, this is where we talk about like Russia had those ties. They were on the right side of Syria against us imperialism. Uh, but that was more for like the warm water port <laughs> that they cared about. Um, and that was laid yeah. into that war. Different competing capitalist interests. Exactly. Exactly. You see imperialist the same. country, it's still a capitalist country. Yeah, you see the same thing with Ukraine, right? Ukraine is pure imperialism by Russia and it's combating and, and driven to war by imperialism by the United States. You know, it's 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 kind of like World War One style imperialism versus imperialism. Um, and you kind of see that that here, right? The UAE and, and Russia and, and Syria. Uh, backing the RSF, whereas the uh, S. Oh, why am I totally blanking? The SA. I am totally blanking on the the government, the technical government proper in Sudan. Um, but they, you know, they're more backed by like. I just United realized States. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I my brain is is farting right now, so I apologize. Uh, but they're more backed by the United States and the RSF. You know, usually kind of contains the West Darfur area. They've expanded kind of southeast rather than up towards the capital in Sudan, which is a little interesting. They're trying to break it into a territory, which is what we've seen in Somalia um, after the breakdown of the government and what we've seen kind of. Well, in that's Libya. just uh, common Indian control tactic. It's, it's in frontiers. What they do is they separate you, so that way you're easier to control. They make you smaller mm -hmm. nations. The reason why I'm part of the Oglala Lakota nation instead of just Ochete Shakoin is just arbitrary legal definitions, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what they want to do. But right now it's just happening via military force, which is how it starts every time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, this exact same thing happened on the planes. Mm -hmm. They used Anishinaabe people, Fox, you know, there was a bunch of different alliances like this that happened all across it's a tale as old as time. Sure. Um, but this is, um, this is one that, like we said, you know, backed by Russia and Syria, but they also, you know, have, have links with the United States and, and uh, work, you know, to normalize relations with Israel, kind of both sides of this, the civil war breakdown are working to normalize with Israel. And this massive war, there's been mass rapes, there's been displacement. It's about 7 million people displaced. I think it was 8 million in the Congo too. So there is about four times the size of Gaza displaced in two different conflicts in Africa right now. Well, and like a lot of people, you know, they don't want to wrestle with the, um, just the abhorrent conditions in like the cobalt industry, which is primarily ringing on artisanal mining, which is just a nice way to say people are mining cobalt by hand. So that way developing nations uh, could, you know, have cheaper access to technology uh, due to the artificially inflated prices, thanks to Silicon Valley and shit like that. I mean, it's, you know, at the root of everything, you can blame American imperialism and it's fucking, um, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of uh, abhorrent that 
you know, even when people do start to give lip services to the things we're talking about, you know, instead of talking to us to understand them or, you know, investigating before speaking on them, it's like, I'm, I'm not really speaking on the sedan stuff because I realized I don't know enough, you know. The only thing I can say is where the historical strategizing comes from, and it comes from early colonization. Who knew yeah. colonialism uses the same tactics? Yeah, and I I can't speak to you know things that that we normally like to speak like what is what is the revolutionary you know way out? What are their chances? What are you know what are the good signs? And I don't know enough about Sudan myself to know that. I just know. I'm just I, I'm sharing what I do know in that way. It's it's hopeful or helpful for people as all these conflicts arise, you know, because what's going to happen is either you're going to ignore it. Or you're going to hear a lot of like pay attention to Sudan and like, well, how this should that apply mean? to <laughs> like, us. Right. Yeah. Is that, you know, um, you should hold your favorites accountable for over speaking. Right. You should um, actively try to engage people directly involved in the situations talking about and pay attention to how they are perpetrated at home. Right. So like Stanford university is a hub of technological advancement for the military. You know, um, if you look at like trains and ports, you know, obviously that's another good place to start analyzing the logistics of empire, right? How, where do things come from and from where, you know, because the only way to really um, join the war effort really, you know, is to do a lot more than holding a picket sign. That's the bare minimum we could be doing is going out and having mass protests. As we saw with Vietnam, it doesn't matter. You know, you could be burning draft cards, you know, doing a bunch of other shit, you know, but it takes a lot more than just holding a picket sign. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and protests come in all kinds of shapes and forms and have all different levels of effectiveness, ineffectiveness, and levels of organization necessary. So, you know, we, it, it begins by asking the people you want to represent how yes. you could best help them. Yes. Know? And and there are people, you know, that do a lot of different organizing. In times like this, too, again, with three simultaneous explicit, like even the most pro-colonial pe- people would other than the people apologizing for it of course currently uh would have to admit our genocides going on right now um it's important not to lose sight of all of the other things and and works we're doing you know the opposition to cop city and and again another another form of well, protest that's connected is, to the idf too they want to train in cop city yeah you know? exactly and and you also um you also have that connected to the larger you know prison abolition movement and so there there's an example of a different type of protest or, you know phone zaps right well you can continue the you know israel connection with palestine and you have um people like jackson hinkle who sell um bircher gold if you don't know where the john bircher society gets their gold it was formerly apartheid south africa and currently nice, nice. apartheid Palestine. Nice. So Jackson Hinkle, who's very much playing pro-Palestinian voices and people, you know, acting like he's this huge voice that you need to just accept he's talking on the issue and saying the right things. You need to just accept that. You know, um, he he's selling Palestinian gold at the same time. 
Yeah, and, and you're helping him sell Palestinian gold at the same time. And the, these are the things. I mean, this there's genocide markets. Let's just be very clear how horrible capitalism is, right? There's genocide markets that you don't even, uh, you know, have any any idea how bad they are. We t- we knew about all the gold pillaged in Iraq, right? Obviously, we're talking about now gold pillaged in. Palestine. Obviously, the land is being taken, and 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 we're aware of that. And, Pal- and uh, Israelis have been very open about woohoo. These are our beaches. There's been long, and, and one thing that troubles me is people have always used the fact that China um, has a like very large, efficient organ donation system, and the fact that there is one thing, and I don't know if I agree with this. It's just it's a Chinese policy, but people have turned it into organ harvesting and shit. Claims is that. You know, if you are, um, I guess, given the death penalty, you don't get to decide to not donate your organs. Um, so there's this organ harvesting ac- accusation that goes around. It's actually one of the biggest like things of the Falun Gong who are pushing their little Shan Yun um, dance thing really bad right now. They, you know, <laughs> they, I guess they've got some big tour coming or something. Um, but some an actual market like Israel very uh, openly is of all the developed countries, I think the lowest signed up for organ donation because they're getting the shit from dead Palestinians. Um, Well, and then they just returned some bodies back to the families and uh, organs are missing. Of course. Yeah. Of course. But of course the West is going to tell you it's China stealing people's organs. Right. Right. Um, you know, it, it, there, there's all that we, this projection. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's that uh, pointing out that with Hinkle and the gold is, is very important to underscore that this is a broader system full of, you know, when we say class interest, it means a class is just a huge group of people that all have some functionally aligned interest. And settlers going to serve for themselves. Settlers have an international class mm-hmm. solidarity going on that oftentimes leads to South Africans leaving their formerly apartheid state to go fight alongside Israelis to experience the good old days. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've already seen, uh, you, you know, Ukraine is still going on. Yeah, Ukraine's already, no, actually, no, it's ending. I mean, it, it sounds it, like it's ending, but yeah. you're already seeing Ukrainian soldiers showing up to fight alongside Israel, you know? Yeah. That and, and we all knew that was going to happen. So, I mean, this shit is just, it, it's fucking appalling. Um, but it, you know, it's white supremacy. It's all one big system. Well, and, that's why it's so important, though, to platform the voices involved mm-hmm. and actually talk about, talk to colonized people in general about the perspective that you can't get as a colonizer. And yes, even if you're poor, you're a colonizer if you're not from this fucking country, you know, like I get it. Your parents or grandparents came a long time ago. Great grandparents, blah, 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 blah. But like it started somewhere and Israelis children aren't innocent just because, you know, they're kids like they're actively occupying and it's their parents fault. They're in that situation, you know? And even then, like, I don't think, any of the rumors coming out that they're killing kids wantonly like is true. You know, if anything, it's the, yeah. 
Israeli occupation forces that oh Israeli occupation forces openly tell you their policy is to kill children and and like we've known you know again it's a population that's half children of two million people and you're bombing the shit out of it including the hospital who do you think is gonna die oh we've captured more terrorists and it's like uh, they've discovered half the time it's like people like taken in hospitals that are like surgeons and shit like that that they forced to hold a gun that they're for some reason still holding while naked. You know, it's like, uh, that doesn't make any sense logically. You know, <laughs> why would they be naked? Oh yeah. I well, there's been several like, you know, grotesque massacres. They, they've been routinely separating men. And when they say men and boys, so Shrebenica, um, let's, let's backtrack a little bit here. Shrebenica, the, the big massive genocide, that happened in the Yugoslav wars that was blamed on Milosevic, even though they found out it was, and I'm totally blanking on the name, the leader of the the Serbian little country that had formed inside Bosnia who had done it. It wasn't Milosevic. He was like actually like shown to be innocent in the ICC, but it was definitely a genocide by Serbian forces that was done um, in collaboration, like the, how they did it with Israel and the way they did it is they took out the women and children. Right. Uh, which, okay. And, and there's a lot of, you know, angst about like, did the UN or did the UN, did the, the NATO forces bait them in there, stuff like that. But they went in and they slaughtered a bunch of people. And the way they decided combatants was your men and men was starting at the age of like 13. So it was like from 13 year olds up any even then killed. that's a that's a cloudy that's a cloudy number to put yeah well and you're like you're not sure who's a, you know civilians or it was gruesome like let's let's be very clear about that right that tactic was done by israel so when we're talking about they take the men away um from the women and children and then sometimes they're still back throwing grenades at the women and children i mean they they called you know uh palestinian children like snakes and pests and all this shit um but so much as they separate the men, they're they're talking about like boys, like a lot of these men that they're separating are children. Half of half of the population of Palestine is children. And they see anybody over the age of like 10 or 13 or whoever as a potential combatant. And so they're taking these children and treating them as combatants. Um, and it just just based on them being male and like not two. And then they're, of course, fucking slaughtering two year olds anyway, because they're monsters. That's what settler colonialism does. It's it's well, it's like the snake thing. Like we're legally called Sioux, which means little snakes. Like they they did that on purpose. And yeah, you know these are everything. Pretty much always goes back to the Indian Wars, and that's not at all an exaggeration. (laughs) Even the Congo. Leopold was inspired by the Indian War. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh, we've talked about Aventine. I mean, again, in, it's important to to realize things like the Balfour Declaration, which is the big Western justification of Israel, was signed in 1917, not after the Holocaust. Israel's not formed in the name of the Holocaust, but the big excuse that that gives license to this, you know, gruesome apartheid state in in Israel is like, oh, this is this is the fix to the Holocaust. Apparently, the Palestinians have to pay for that, um, and. You know, the Holocaust, the, the Holocaust, and especially Liebensprom, um, Hitler was explicitly in, 
inspired uh, by the United States Western expansion and and manifest destiny and treatment specifically of indigenous people um, for whom he gladly, of course, being Hitler, used uh, a slur for that we thankfully do not call a fucking football team anymore as of a couple of years ago. Even then, with all the growing reaction in the country, they're floating the idea of bringing it back. It's awesome. Yeah. It's like- <laughs> Reggio Emilia had always been the target of the southernness, a phrase of Camillo Prampolini. <laughs> so Italian of a name, Jesus. Italy is made up of northerners, and filthy southerners could be taken as the most characteristic expression of the violent hatred disseminated among southerners against the workers of the north. So I, is this like how everybody thinks everybody in the South, like backwards, <laughs> like here in America. But uh, at Reggio Emilia, a problem arose similar to the one at Fiat. A big factory was to pass into the hands of the workers as a cooperative enterprise. The Reggio reformists were full of enthusiasm for the project and trumpeted its praises in the press at a meeting. Uh, a Turin communist went to Reggio took the floor at a factory meeting, outlined the problem between North and South in its entirety, and the miracle was achieved. The workers, by an overwhelming majority, rejected the reformist corporate position. It was shown that the reformists did not represent the spirit of the Reggio workers. They represented merely their passivity and other negative aspects. They had succeeded, succeeded, sorry, let me clarify my English. They had succeeded in establishing a political monopoly, thanks to the notable concentration in their ranks of organizers and propagandists with certain professional talents, and hence in preventing the development and organization of a revolutionary current. But the presence of a capable revolutionary was enough to thwart them and show that the Reggio workers are valiant fighters and not swine raised on government fodder. Killer line. Not gonna lie. No kidding. I, there are some solid, solid Gramsci like brow shots. Gramsci has instantly become one of my favorites. Instantly. Like I was immediately like, look, Mao's good and all, but everything he said is just like a nice way to say a lot of Mark shit, you know? But Gramsci, he's throwing out bangers that are like, Mao, you should have just said it outright, you know? You just said it with your chest, man. What's funny is is we've talked about how Gramsci and, and Mao were going at the same time, and it was kind of like how you know things just evolved the the same trait uh, completely unrelated at the same time, right? Um, they had just like come to same conclusions at the same time in in their revolutions. Uh, so that was kind of wild, but also a little confirming with some of these understandings of like you know what Gramsci describes and and Mao calls the mass line things like that. Well, but see, yeah, with the mass line and stuff, I think adding in um, the explan the explanations that Gramsci gives, I guess, is like um, with his uh, the organic capabilities of the workers to organize themselves. You know, a lot of people don't understand that the workers aren't hapless children. Yeah, no, there's a lot too in Gramsci where like 
there, there's a directed audience. Like you were speaking to your, you're never speaking to the people or the public. You're speaking to these workers. These workers need to join with these workers. This, the, there's like always pointed explanation and it, it it's very good. It's like a breakaway from the whole, like talk to, talk to the people, talk to the masses. It's like these masses, <laughs> you know, the peasants, the factory workers. In April, 1921, 5,000 revolutionary workers were laid off by fiat. The workers' councils were abolished. Real wages were cut. <laughs> real wages were cut, which is like, oh, okay, anything less is not real wages. But at Reggio Emilia, something similar probably happened. In other words, the workers were defeated. But was the sacrifice that they had used made useless? We did not believe so. Indeed, we are certain that it was not useless though it would certainly be difficult to induce a whole series of great mass events which prove the immediate lightning effectiveness of these actions. In any case, so far as the peasants are concerned, such proof is always difficult, indeed almost impossible, and it is yet more difficult in the case of the peasant masses in the South. So I think that's really speaking a lot to how people discount, you know, anything that wasn't a proletarian-based action right the south could be defined as a great social disintegration the peasants who make up the great majority of its population have no cohesion among themselves of course some exceptions must be made apulia sardinia sicily uh, where there exist special characteristics within the great canvas of the south structure southern society is a great agrarian block made up of three social layers the great amorphous disintegrated mass of the peasantry and the intellectuals of the petty and medium rural bourgeoisie and the big landowners and great intellectuals. The Southern peasants are in perpetual ferment, but as a mass, they are incapable of giving a centralized expression of their aspirations and needs. The middle layer of intellectuals receives the impulses for its political and ideological activity from the peasant base the big landowners in the political field and the great intellectuals in the ideological field centralize and dominate in the last analysis. This whole complex of sen- uh, this whole complex of phenomena. Oh, this whole complex of phenomena. Okay. I don't know. Okay. Weird sentence structure there. Naturally, it is in the ideological sphere that the centralization is most effective and precise. Giustino Fortunato and Benedetto Crochet (sighs) thus represent the keystones of the Southern system and in a certain sense are the two major figures of Italian reaction. (laughs) I do like the, the, the tying of the intellectuals and the landowners as kind of the vanguard of, of reaction, you know, and, and you see that a lot like Gramsci does not get around with what an intellectual is. Um, they're they're basically reinforcements for for the class structure um and so with that i can go ahead and take on um some here the southern intellectuals are one of the most interesting and important social strata in italian national life one only has to think of the fact that more than three-fifths of the state bureaucracy is made up of southerners to convince oneself of this Now to understand the particular psychology of the Southern intellectuals, it is necessary to keep in mind certain factual data. 
Uh, number one, in every country, the layer of intellectuals has been radically modified by the development of capitalism. The old type of intellectual was the organizing element in a society with a mainly peasant and artisanal basis. And I guess this is where he's saying it applies to the South and the peasants, as he was talking about a couple paragraphs ago. Um, to organize the state, to organize commerce, the dominant class bred a, particular, bred a particular type of intellectual organizer, the specialist in applied science. In the societies where the economic forces have developed in a capitalist direction to the point where they have absorbed the greater part of a national activity, it is the second type of intellectual which has prevailed, with all his characteristics in, of order and intellectual discipline. In the countries, on, on the other hand, where agriculture still plays considerable or even preponderant role, the old type has remained predominant. It provides a, the bulk of the state personnel, and locally, too. In the villages and little country towns, it has the function of the intermediary between the peasant and the administration in general. In southern Italy, this type predominates, with all its characteristic features. Democratic in its peasant face, reactionary in the face turned towards the big landowner and the government, Potlicking, corrupt, and faithless. Again, no fear of the brow shots, Gramsci. One could not understand the tradition, traditional caste of the Southern political parties if one did not take the characteristics of the social stratum into account. Um, so, I mean, he's talking about that, like, intellectuals are not just... Like we think of intellectuals and in, in, in like a college professor or whatever, but they're anyone with institutional prestige um, or societal prestige for general expertise, right? These are going to be your political leaders. These are going to be so they could be college professors. They could just be big landowners. They could uh, just be you know artisanal like the the, the industry leaders, the the artisanal uh, professionals, like he's talking about uh, in the peasant lands, and and you know the the people that that have certain skills and jobs. Uh, so, you know, intellectual, we need to understand that it's basically a, a class vanguard for the ruling class that speaks to the public as a whole from a position of power given by general expert, uh, by an idea and an aura of general expertise. But it's not like, like, I, I specialize in this, you know, the, the, you can't be an intellectual cause you're artisanal. If you're just, you know, an expert in welding, right. It's like, you're good at welding and you understand all these things and you're a community leader. It's, it's the, the small business, the, the restaurant owner that does all the little fundraisers with the cops and is a community leader and shit like that. You know what I'm talking about? Exactly. It's that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's that. So. It's an inorganic leadership one bought by capital, literally. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Except, except that, that according to, to Gramsci, I don't think he considers that in inorganic. Like that's something that's, Oh, I that's guess it shouldn't be inorganic. I should say yeah. it's like astroturfy. I don't it's, know. it's, it's, it's not, it, it's a ruling class interest. It's a part of the ruling class Vanguard, just much like the, the violent, forces armed guard is and and much like the financiers it's very much part of the bourgeoisie um but it's it's a part that that like keeps things ticking um like the armed guard uh point number two the southern intellectual mainly comes from a layer and and all of this stuff from from my claire 
clarification of Reggio Emilia to intellectual is based off what I'm reading Gramsci. If we had Prez here, we could get a little more clarification. So next time Prez is here, maybe we'll try to tap into to Gramsci's definition of intellectual because it seems to be like ripe and in need of definition. And I'm going off exactly what this is saying here when I say that with an intellectual, but maybe there's more Gramsci works that reveal that more. Um, Two, the Southern intellectual mainly comes from a layer which is still important in the South, the rural bourgeoisie. In other words, the small and medium landowner who is not a peasant, who does not work the land, who would be ashamed to be a farmer, but who wants to extract from the little he ha- land he has, leased out either for rent or on simple sharecropping basis, the wherewithal to live fittingly the wherewithal to send his sons to a university or a seminary, and the wherewithal to provide dowries for his daughters, who must marry officers or civil functionaries of the state. From this social layer, the intellectuals derive a fierce antipathy to the working peasant, who is regarded as a machine for work to be bled dry, and one which can be replaced given the excess working population. They also acquire an atavistic, instinctive feeling of crazy fear of the peasants uh, and their destructive violence. Hence, they practice a refined hypocrisy and highly defined art of deceiving and taming the peasant masses. Um, because, you know, what if, what if they're just violent criminals? <laughs> um, and by the way, the, the, the atavistic is... Um, Let's see, do, do something primitive, right? So that's that's like the dangerous primitive peasant massive backwards people type shit. Huh. Interesting yeah. word for it. <laughs> um I wonder if there's an easier word that also means the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Um because I'm never gonna remember that one. <laughs> Since the clergy, well, I, I had to look it up. I, I said it so smoothly, like I like I knew it so well. But that was, that was something I looked up. <laughs> yeah, I was like, huh? oh, yeah, I know. I, that was that was that was me checking the old dictionary. Uh, <laughs> since the clergy belong to the social group of intellectuals, and so there's another clarification, right? Church and religious leaders, especially in Italy, with the clergy and the Catholic Church. Um, so again, these are these are the the bourgeois, the thought leaders. So they can be like, if you think in modern day, that could be the Jordan Petersons or whatever. We'd certainly think of them as the you know the Malcolm Gladwells, the, the uh, quote unquote intellectuals, and they're all stuffy you know assholes. But it's also the pundits and the political leaders, you know, shit like that, right? Um, since the clergy belong to the social group of intellectuals, it is necessary to note the features which distinguish the southern clergy as a whole from the northern clergy. The northern priest is generally the son of an artisan or peasant, has democratic sympathies, is more tied to the mass of peasants. Morally, he is more correct than the southern priest, who often lives more or less openly with a woman. He therefore exercises a spiritual function that is more complete from a social point of view and that he guides a family's entire activities. In the North, the separation of church from state and the expropriation of ecclesiastical goods uh, was more radical than in the South. Um, And as someone who's grown up Catholic ecclesiastical, I'm pretty sure is just like church related or holy. And it's, it's a, word that's thrown around all the fucking time at church and I don't actually know what it means but seems to be of the church <laughs> um do, 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 do. radical 
than that of the South, where the parishes and convents have either preserved or have reconstituted considerable assets, both fixed and movable. In the South, the priest appears to the peasant, one as a land administrator, with whom the peasant enters into a conflict on the question of rents, two as a usurer, who asks for extremely high rates of interest and manipulates the religious element in order to make certain of collecting his rent or interest. Wasn't that kind of the whole New Testament flipping the table issue? Yeah. Yeah. Catholic Church has never been hip- hypocritical. Nope. 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 No. No. <laughs> you know, I like convincing people, you got to give us your land when you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> As a man subject to all the ordinary passions, women and money. Oh, I'm sorry. Number three, as a man subject to all the ordinary passions, women and money, and who therefore, from a spiritual point of view, inspires no confidence in his discretion and impartiality. Um, from what I know from like medieval historians and stuff to like the whole, oh, everyone's so religious and followed all these rules and that like kind of everybody understood no one followed the fucking rules. So it's, it's interesting that that Southern uh, clergyman is kind of being described in that same way uh, when they talk about, you know, Gramsci talks about development in the South as a colony and, and being more agrarian because of it. So it's, it's interesting to see that character. Um, Hence confession exercises only the most minimal role of guidance and the Southern peasant, if often superstitious in a pagan sense is not clerical. All this taken together explains why the South, the popular party, except some parts of Sicily, does not have any great position or possess any network of institutions and mass organizations. The attitude of the peasant towards the clergy is summed up in the popular saying, the priest is a priest at the altar. Outside, he is a man like anyone else. The Southern peasant is bound to the big landowner. And by the way, the popular party, if you remember, that was kind of the fascist, the party that would become the fascist party um the southern peasant is bound to the big landowner through the mediation of in of the intellectual the peasant movements insofar as they do not take the form of autonomous independent mass organizations even in a formal sense i.e capable of selecting out peasant cadres themselves of peasant origin and of registering the accumulating the differentiation and progress achieved within the movement always end up by finding themselves a place in the ordinary articulations of the state apparatus, communes, provinces, chamber of deputies. These processes take place through the composition and decomposition of local parties, whose personnel is made up of intellectuals, which are controlled by the big landowners and their agents, like Salandra, Orlando, De Cesaro. I don't know who any of those people are. <laughs> Um, the war appeared to introduce a new element into this type of organization with the war veterans movement. In this, the peasant soldiers and the intellectual officers formed a mutual block that was more closely united. And that was to some extent antagonistic to the big landowners. It did not last long. And its last residue is the national union, which conceived of by Amendola, which has some phantom existence thanks to its anti-fascism. However, given the lack of any tradition of explicit organization of democratic intellectuals in the South, even this grouping must be stressed and taken into account, since it might be transformed from a tri- tiny trickle of water into a swolly, swollen, muddy torrent and changed general political conditions. 
And I think that's where we will leave off um, at the end of slide one. Is that only slide 141? Damn. Okay. Well, still there. So, um, thank you all for listening. We read some books. Um, you heard some children cry. <laughs> you did hear some children cry. We didn't do that long of a reading, but I tried no. to let it go as long as we could. Um, yes. <laughs> um, but it's really important to do a long plug here because it's been a while since I've been here. And there's a lot of things going on that are important to touch on, I guess. Um, so, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, there was a winter drive that our organizers in Nebraska basically just did by themselves and didn't didn't let anybody know until they already had all the stuff. <laughs> there was another group that did something similar, but they at least told us. And, you know, I'd been thinking about it. Well, there's a big old pile of wood, you know? <laughs> and so these are like an hour away from each other in the same state. And so it was like, well, theoretically, you know, we get a U-Haul, send it, pick up both and then send it out. There we go. Unfortunately, nobody in Nebraska could drive it i guess so i will be grabbing the u-haul as well as some stuff from over here and driving it over there it's all already paid for that's just good news to hear about <laughs> um but there's a second part to it that we are raising money for and our what we what we're doing is in toronto we have a group of organizers that uh um they represent I don't know, it's like three or four farms that feed uh, one of the largest houseless encampments in Toronto. Um, and they'll go down there and like hand out 20s to people to do with what they please because the idea is to enable them to be humans again, you know, to have some dignity in the system that f strips them of humanity constantly. And it sucks. It's a real real shitty thing that goes on that is ignored. And that's obviously not the end all be all of organizing, you know, but if you're not doing that at the bare minimum, just like you're not like you should be at the bare minimum holding a picket sign when there is a protest near you or, you know, yeah, that's a bare minimum thing you should be doing. You know, you should be, helping the houseless and people in need around you and forming community through that way, you know, so that way you can build up systems of dual power, you know, like we're talking, they already have land dedicated to feeding people. You need to be able to feed people for a revolution, you know, uh, and that's not the only group we have doing that. That's just the one we're talking about right now, you know, <laughs> but we'll be doing the same thing on Pine Ridge, you know? And so what we're doing is we're going to buy a shipping container in Toronto, fill it with a ton of stuff that they've been gathering, like medical supplies, blah, 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 blah. And then that comes with a lot of paperwork. First off, <laughs> like you would not believe how much paperwork goes into shipping one thing across the border. Kind of crazy, but you know, we're going to ship a shipping container full of that stuff that we buy in Toronto, like near Toronto over to Pine Ridge, which is going to cost a buttload. <laughs> but then we'll have a shipping container on Pine Ridge to store stuff in. Uh, and it'll be full of shit for people to distribute, you know? Um, 
but the main thing is we need it. We need a shipping container out there to store shit. That's it. <laughs> this is a long way to do that, but yeah, get a couple different things. Sure. Not get all out of one, one blow. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I think it's a good idea. So if you're in the Toronto area, reach out to the eco just food network, um, get a hold of them to help. I mean, first off, just organize in general with the Chunkaluta network, but uh, that's, you know, our point of contact over there. Um, another thing I'm super excited about is a jobs program we're bringing to the Pine Ridge Reservation. That's, again, just good news. <laughs> it's all going to be funded already, and we may have already found the funding for the community center even. So that's super exciting. Um, you know, like that's... Yeah, <laughs> to not have to run a GoFundMe next year, maybe that'd be awesome. You know, uh, along with that, we're helping um, Juchi Gang or Leaping Larry. A lot of you might know. Um, he's uh, his mom just had a stroke while working at Walmart, and uh, it's very <sighs> like dominoey, like just one thing after another. You know, and so like we raised him like. or something like that before we even launched the GoFundMe. And then the GoFundMe was towards another about $3,000. And like, that's a CPAP machine for his partner. Um, But uh, he found out that there's some consolidated debts that um, like payday loans and stuff like that, that his parents kind of just kept under the rug and, probably helped lead to the the stroke you know <laughs> the financial stress you know um not to laugh but it's morbidly funny uh more comical maybe is the word um ironic uh you know but you know despite popular belief canadian healthcare sucks uh indigenous people in that province about 75 percent uh are in poverty you know um on top of that, there was Hurricane Fiona that like did just a ton of fucking damages that uh, he's been dealing with since. And there's been more storms on top of it, just worsening the damage, you know. And so um, this plot of land is three quarters of an acre that they got after their traditional community was destroyed. It was traditionally matriarchal and was refused recognition because of that. Um and so they ended up getting this three quarters acres plot and have been there since it's provided for generations since. And so his hope is to give it to his Afro indigenous son um, to continue uh, on providing for, you know, at least their, their family, you know, um, but ideally we'd like to help them make it something that can provide for the people, you know, and I, I think that's very possible especially with the amount of success we've already experienced. Um, Other than that, uh, we are still trying to raise money for the wheelchair. Um, We need about 6,000 or something like that. I would, I would have to check right now, but I'm not going to, Um, you know, we're almost there and I think it's very doable Um, at the rate we've been going. And then with tax time coming up, I think a lot of people are going to be, a lot of willing to send some of that our way. So, you know, a dollar, five dollars really helps out getting us towards that final goal. Um, same with Larry's. And then our, we have a friend, La Sue, on over on Twitch that um, 
because of uh, the 60 scoop in Canada and stuff has utterly destroyed his lungs. And so he needs a lot of medical care uh, on that front. Um, You know, there's a lot of things going on that are worth your time to share around, at least to your family and friends um, that uh, aren't necessarily radical, but you can utilize towards more revolutionary aims. Like in my, my calculus is the more things like this, we help people finish and accomplish the more people associate Chunkaluta with being able to help people, you know, even if we have limited funds, we can find a way to help people. And we, we have proven that over and over again. And, um, you know, uh, I just want to thank everybody for an amazing year. Really. Um, it's something else. What has, what's happened. Um, a lot of it, a lot of the catalysts, is this podcast um the the red deal season was uh years in the making and it was supposed to be another book yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was supposed to be redskins white mask and we changed it to red deal like the the journey that got us here is uh it's a really beautiful story i can't wait to tell one day and um you know i think uh it'll probably end up in a history book, not to be too, you know, narcissistic, but at least my people's histories. So, you know, I just really, really can't thank everybody for supporting us enough for believing in this project. Uh, I hope I've more than proved a good, good captain, you know, (laughs) Uh, it was very interesting to just be handed the reins one day. (laughs) Nobody talked to me about it. Just announced on the show. <laughs> but I think that's really true to the way we do things here. And I think uh, as we organize the soft infrastructure to actually do something more than just what it is now is going to be huge. Because with what just, just what it is now, it's pretty... Um, incredible it's 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 really something else like i said we're bringing jobs already to the reservation and that's a whole other thing i i'm super excited to be able to announce but the best way to learn about it right away is by joining the patreon (laughs) like that plug that was solid um not to like ruin the sentiment in this but seriously our goal next year is to get to $1,800 a month um, in sustaining Um, this isn't to go to me 500 like usual will go to me I am asking for a raise so if we get over 1800 and people think I deserve a raise or I think I deserve a raise we could use an extra $100 I have another kid coming in March so uh, that's crazy soon (laughs) i i eventful life um you know uh so uh we're hoping to get eighteen hundred dollars a month that would uh pay uh three organizers to work full-time essentially pay for our tech budget uh and then um 
pay the camera guy to provide us monthly B-roll, basically, uh, just for content's sake, because I ran out of B-roll so quickly doing the Mark's Madness stuff, and some of it hasn't released yet because I still have to, I have to dub it, and that just takes a long time. Uh, but that's part of what that money's for, is to just pay a transcriptionist to work, you know, well, what we pay them $2 per raw transcription minute, right? So that works out to being like three episodes of transcribing is like 360 or something like that, like on average of Mark's Madness. So the way I figure it, they'll do like five, six episodes or whatever, and that's 500 bucks or, you know, 250 minutes of transcribing is all, you know, that's a lot of transcribing and it's transcribing. I don't have to do so, but the big issue is, you know, um, with those AI ones, somebody still has to correct it, you know, so we can still cheat, but somebody still has to go through and correct. It. <laughs> There's still labor to be done, you know, otherwise, like, especially with like Lakota, <laughs> it gets gruesome. I've tried. I mean, like it was more work to do the AI stuff than to oh geez. just transcribe it myself. Like literally, I mean, that, like, I don't know anybody who's like, AI, AI. it's like, it does not make your job easier half the time, much like the computers at the cash register that fucking don't take my chip card anymore. It's like, <laughs> I'm mad. Anyway, I'm like a boomer. <laughs> they made that change when I was a kid. And I was like, I just got this card. They're making me get a new one. <laughs> I just started like working. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> what a weird complaint. <laughs> no, it's okay. You can be a crank. I don't like when it doesn't take my magnet strip when I swipe it. Uh, no, I prefer the magnet strip. Oh, I know, but like they, they all, if your card has yeah, the other options, it won't let issue. you until like you. Yeah, fail. you got to do like yeah. three times at like yeah. three fucking. It's like, this is. <laughs> can I just say yes or no? Yeah. Give yeah. me the option. I just have the the selling point of capitalism is choices, right? I want a choice there, you know, like, fuck. Anyway, uh, <laughs> this is Ned Craig Hour at Mark's Madness. Yeah. So the Patreon, you know, very important to keeping the media side of things going. But um, the second person getting paid beside me would help on the editing ends, um, the creating ends, mostly like the 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 script writing and stuff like that like there's a lot of research that goes into uh, like the episodes i do for the chunkaluta podcast which finally launched and you can listen to every episode early on the patreon <laughs> but uh you can also find it on apple podcasts after they okay the rss feed or whatever and then um spotify and then slowly it's going i'm getting it on other things but <laughs> Patreon, you can. <laughs> no, but actually, there is a better option than Patreon. And, uh, so, if you go to the link tree in the description, um, you can find all of our other social medias for the Chunkaluta Network. Um, so you'll get to see pictures from this winter drive and stuff as they become available. Um, but the big thing to me, you know, is uh, the Liber Pay. Liber Pay. Anyway, they don't take a cut like Patreon. So if you don't want early access and you just want to support us, that's the best way to do it. Okay. 
and anyway, uh, what else? What else do we got going on? Um, I think that's it. That's it. Okay, so <laughs> twenty minutes uh, of plugging. No, that's it's important. It's a lot. We we talk about it all the time, right? Get out there and organize. Without the uh, praxis, the theory is nothing, and this is stuff that's putting up community centers and keeping people warm and, and well. And so the thing I was telling you to subscribe to the Patreon for is an alternative economic model, a way to establish dual power with centralized planning prior to a revolution. You know, which is an incredible important step to being able to have revolution general is being able to understand and plan logistics in an economic economy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this all the time. We're, we're it, the difference between a revolution and fascism with assuming, you know, we stray from Gramsci here and just say fascism is own thing and not the, not just the violent breakdown of, of uh, um, liberalism as it, as it enters into hegemony. Um, but it is, um, you know, what are you going to build? Right. We can all destroy the fascists want to destroy. We, you know, it's not just why you want to destroy, but why you want to destroy is kind of shown by what do you want to build? And we want to build a more just society. And you can't do that if you're not building societies functionally, right? If you're not organizing an administration and, and a way for people to function. Well, and so like the thing is, is like, you know, a lot of people, they they very much don't understand how to conceptualize what we're doing, right? It's an internationalist movement because we're talking about the Ochete Shakuin allying with the Haudenosaunee, allying with the Comanche, allying with the Pacific Islanders, you know, allying with Malaysians, ally, you know, like the list goes on where our connections go and they're only growing. We actually have, you know, like, cabinets and we have like fucking state power you know like my uncle banned the church off of my fucking reservation it's fucking awesome (laughs) and he did that without the council's permission so removed the bia from the equation there was no neo-colonial influence there you know and so um i just you know people need to recognize where the opportunity for revolutionary momentum is in this nation and utilize it actually understand it and you know try to build connections like we are i'm taking a public stance on this because we've already been a very public movement our movement strategy is public non-violence the, you use that as a as a shield so to say Oh, so opti- optically, it looks even worse. But as the times are changing, it's becoming more apparent. You can still get the public support by throwing rocks back at your oppressor, at the very least. You know, one of the most inspiring things I saw was a pile of rocks on a minivan and a guy just heating them at a freaking tank and group as they're driving away and he's like he's like riding on the hood throwing rocks over that's in palestine that that's how they're resisting what excuse do we have yeah i mean there's none exactly there's none so 
there's a lot of ways to do this and a lot of them are legal. They are completely legal in this system and you can utilize those to get to a further point. And you need to know how to get to that further point because it's something you can't learn on here. It's something you can't discuss on here. It's not something, you know, like it's something you have to go and taste the pear for yourself as Mao says. Yep. Um, so with that, this has been Mark's Madness Pod, part of Chunkaluta Network. We read books. My name is David. I was like, where's Nathan? <laughs> Ready to shot back a dime. <laughs> yeah, for real. I'm Shugmani too. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Oh,